You're listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Ruth. Here's Nate. King Asa was a wonderful king in the line of David, and so he was a king of Judah. And some of the things that he did during his reign were powerful and beautiful. He worked religious reforms in Judah and Jerusalem, driving out the high places and the worship of foreign gods. He militarily fortified various cities throughout Judah and made uh, his country a more defendable uh, place. Uh, he brought peace, the Bible says in Second Chronicles, on every side. And there was this major trademark victory in King Asa's life. Early on in his reign, there was a million-man Ethiopian army that came against uh, the people of Judah. And it says in Second Chronicles 14, verse 11, that Asa cried to the Lord his God and said, There is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are God. Let not man prevail against you. That was the early attitude of Asa's heart and life, a dependence upon God in the face of adversity. Unfortunately, near the end of Asa's reign, a different attitude seems to have prevailed. The northern king, King Basha, had begun to build a strategic city against Judah, the city of Ramah. And Asa, instead of crying out to God, instead of praying as he'd done previously in the face of a million-man army, Asa paid the Syrians to attack Basha's cities. And Basha withdrew, and Israel or Judah went and destroyed Ramah. And so it appeared that the plan of Asa's had worked. But at that time, Hanani the prophet came to him and said that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. And he announced to him, you've done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. But the announcement there from Hanani the prophet, you know, God is looking. The eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth. And what God wants to do is he wants to find those whose heart is blameless toward him. And when he finds that kind of person, he wants to, as Hanani announced, give strong support to them. What we have here in Ruth chapter 2, and really the entirety of the book of Ruth, is just that, God giving strong support to uh, his people, specifically to a woman, young woman, a Moabite woman named Ruth. Now, in Ruth chapter 1, we saw that Naomi and her family had gone to Moabite territory because of a famine in Bethlehem. And there, her two sons married, but her husband and her two sons eventually all died. And Ruth, one of her son's wives, uh, returned to Bethlehem after Uh, at least a period of 10 years 
uh, with Naomi. They've returned, and Naomi feels that she's empty. She tells the people in Bethlehem, the women in Bethlehem, call me Mara, call me bitter, because I went out full and I've returned empty. But of course, the reader is meant to understand that God is working in the midst of these dire details of life. And so uh, today, I want to show you ways in which God is going to show strong support to Ruth. And in so doing, I want to show you three things from God and three things from Ruth. It takes two to tango, as they say. And uh, it takes God finding a person that he is able to show that strong support to. And so I want to show you how God shows that strong support. And I want to show you some ingredients within Ruth's own life and heart that I think lent her to being that person who God's eye could find humble and blameless toward him. Now, it says in verse 1 of chapter 3, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, these first three verses give us an anticipation of what is going to come uh, in this story. First of all, the author tells us that there was a relative of Naomi's husband. Uh, This would mean that he was a blood relative and potentially a redeemer, potentially someone who could restore them, perhaps even marry Ruth, and perpetuate the line of Elimelech, perpetuate the line of Naomi's husband and Naomi's family. He was a worthy man, it says in verse 1, and his name was Boaz. This is all designed to tell us that he was a, a relative, so he was qualified, but also he was a man of standing. He was worthy. So he's legally, but also financially, able to intervene in this situation. Now, the author tells us there in verse 2 and 3 that Ruth, she doesn't know about Boaz, and Naomi is not conscious or thinking of Boaz. Ruth basically just says, look, I want to go out and and glean among the ears of grain uh, after him in whose sight I may find favor. In in other words, uh, I think that she's just simply saying, look, the, the law of Israel tells us that the reapers are not to reap the corners of the field. And they're to leave a sheaf in the field and not go back and get it uh, so that the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow may be taken care of and blessed. And probably there weren't many people in Israel who were actually obeying those laws from God's word. But Ruth hopes to find someone who would favor the widow and the fatherless and the sojourner in that kind of way. And so she goes out to the field with Naomi's blessing. The author tells us in verse 3 that she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. And we're meant to understand that Ruth thought this to be chance. But the narrator and the reader know it to be God's involvement. 
This is not fate. Uh, this is not luck. But this is divine providence. And one of the things that I wanted you to see here about God is that God is willing to get involved with his people. God's involvement is the first thing I think that we see. The Bible is filled with this kind of concept that God involves himself in the individual lives of his people. Uh, you might remember in the book of Second Kings, uh, there was a Shunammite woman who Elisha had told to sojourn for a period of time because of a famine in the land. And when she came back seven years later, she went to the king of Israel to appeal for her old land back. And it just so happened that right at the time that she went into the king, Elisha's servant was with the king and boasting about a time previously where Elisha had raised the Shunammite's son back to life. And just as he's telling that story, in walks in this Shunammite woman. It was God's involvement, God's providence in taking care of her life. There was a moment in the book of Esther where the wicked man Haman had determined that he wanted to finally execute his wrath against Mordecai. And so he built gallows in order to hang Mordecai the next day. But that night, the king, who was more powerful than Haman, could not sleep. And so he asked his servants to read him from the old governmental records. And it tells us that they read to him the story of Mordecai years earlier, uncovering an assassination plot and not being rewarded for it. And the king began to inquire, what should we do? And so when, Mort, when uh, Haman showed up, he says, what should we do for the one that the king desires to honor? It was God intervening in Mordecai's life at just the right moment. Or in the New Testament, we see God asking Philip to go down to Gaza in the midst of a Samaritan revival. And he goes down and finds an Ethiopian man who just so happens at that very moment to be reading from Isaiah 53, prophecies that are so clearly and directly about the crucifixion of Christ. Or later in the book of Acts, when God wanted Paul to go to Ephesus and Apollos to go to Corinth, he arranged the details of their lives and sent them where he wanted them to go, even though they had not even met each other or coordinated with each other by that time. Now, God is seen here as the chess player moving his pieces where he sees fit. And so the involvement of God. And God's people, we must recognize this and believe this to be so. And so she happened, verse 3, to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. And behold, verse 4, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Now, what we're learning here about Boaz is that he was a godly man, a godly leader. He comes out, and the Lord is on his lips. The Lord be with you, he says. And they answer, The Lord bless you. It gives us a little snapshot of, of the kind of man that Boaz was. He was a benevolent man leader. It tells us in Colossians 4 verse 1, 
Paul writing, saying, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You know, if you're a leader of others and a believer, they should have a wonderful experience being under your charge. He said, The Lord be with you. And they said, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz, verse 5, said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Now, Boaz hadn't seen her before, and perhaps this is a little bit of attraction, as he asks the question, whose young woman is this? And his foreman identifies her as Ruth. Boaz had likely heard her story about her return from Moabite territory and sticking with Naomi, but he hadn't seen her yet. And so the foreman identifies Ruth, and he tells Boaz that she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. She was a hard-working young woman. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close attention, keep close to my young women. Let your ears or let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young women had have drawn. So Boaz begins to behave very generously towards Ruth and uh, really begins to care for her. There might be some, you know, feelings within Boaz's heart at this time. But his way of expressing himself is to provide for her, to care for her, to, you know, give her food and drink and protection. And really what this is, is God is sending his emissary to Ruth. He he is sending his man into Ruth's life. And again, I shared with you that we're going to observe how God works within Ruth. And he, he, you know, providentially ordered the affairs of her life and and brought her to that field, working in the details of her life. But here, God's sending his emissary, his man, into her life. And often, this is the way that God will work. God will work in your life uh, via other human beings, and God will work in the lives of other humans with your life. It is, as they say, all about relationships. You know, it's interesting to me at the end of Paul's life when he was on his deathbed and, you know, knew that the time that he was going to die was about to come. He'd been spared from other Caesars, but uh, it appears in Second Timothy that Paul knew that he was about to be poured out as a drink offering. It was time for him to die. And it says in Second Timothy 4 verse 9, as he closes out his final letter, his final correspondence, he said to Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent 
to Ephesus. And in that short little paragraph, Paul mentions multiple people. He's talking to Timothy. He refers to Demas, who departed from him. He talks about Crescens and Titus and announces that Luke is with him and asks Timothy to get Mark and to bring him. And he talks about sending a man named Tychicus to Ephesus, where Timothy would have been. He talks about these seven men in just a couple of breaths. Because for Paul, over the years, it had become all about his relationships in Christ. People that he was co-laboring with for the sake of the gospel. And maybe a question that we would ask in seeing God sending Boaz into Ruth's life is we would ask the question, who are we called to help? In other words, who are we called to be a Boaz for? And then perhaps a second question would be, who has been a Boaz for us? Who has treated us as Boaz treated Ruth? And then the other thing I think that we should see here, you know, God involving himself in the details of Ruth's life, but God also sending his emissary, but also seeing God's provision for Ruth. It says there that, you know, Boaz, he told her not to go glean in another field. He protects her from the young men and provides water and drink for her. This points us to the provision of God upon the lives of his faithful people. I think this is something that we really must remember. The simple provision of God upon our lives. We live in a complex world with you know, so many things that we refer to as needs, but that really aren't needs in our lives. And our lives can become so entangled with the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. And the reality is that if we have the Lord, we have our food and we have shelter, clothing, then we're fine. We, we have everything that we need. And if we could just simplify things to that degree, I think we'd have so much more joy than we so often have. Jesus said this in Matthew six twenty five. He said, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Here in Ruth we have a woman who exemplified God's provision upon her life. She simply walked with God and God provided for her every need. Now, upon receiving this grace, 
It says in verse 10 that Ruth fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Here is, I think, the centerpiece of this entire movement of the story. What Boaz does in his response is he points to two things. He tells Ruth, look, the reason that I'm doing this is because you serve Naomi. I I heard about what you did. You left your father and your mother and your native land. You came to a brand new people. You've been serving this old woman, Naomi. And not only that, but you came under the Lord's wings for refuge. You chose Naomi And you chose God. And I think that as Boaz announces this to Ruth, he is pointing to something that God himself is constantly looking for. They asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And Ruth was living out that reality. She was loving God primarily and loving Naomi secondarily. And Jesus said that's what it all is about. It it all boils down to that, the, the love of God and the love of mankind, the love of people. You know, incidentally and interestingly enough, you know, the book of Judges, which I've shared with you, is the backdrop of the book of Ruth, closed in a different way than the rest of the book is written. The rest of the book it records for us various cycles of different judges and the ways that they were able to deliver the people of Israel from their bondage or captivity or enemy oppression. But the book closes with two stories that there's no judge for, but seem to be two examples of the depravity of the time of the judges. The first one is about a man named Micah who stole some silver from his mother and with it created a household god and actually paid for a Levite to come and work for him and be kind of his personal household priest. And the tribe of Dan then persuaded that Levite to steal the idol and become their priest uh, themselves. And it's a very bizarre story, but it shows us the idolatry that was in its infancy in Israel. And then the second story that closes out the book of Judges is of a Levite man who had a concubine, which is a bad thing, but took her to the town of Gibeah, where the people wanted to basically rape him, and instead he sent her out, and they violently raped her, and he, in his grief, cut up her body and sent it to the 12 tribes in Israel. It was a way to decry the deplorable actions of the men in Gibeah. It's a grotesque story. It led to a civil war of sorts as the nation came against the tribe of Benjamin that harbored the Gibeonite people. And what you're supposed to see there is that 
the care for mankind was lost and had turned into a brutality against mankind. So there you have idolatry and a hatred for man, a hatred for God and a hatred for man in ancient Israel. But Ruth is the opposite of both of those things. Ruth loved God and Ruth loved her fellow man. And because of that, as the eyes of the Lord were looking to and fro, he began to really bless and care for this woman. But she did not consider it as a wage. Notice what she said. She said, I have found favor, verse 13, in your eyes, O my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Her attitude is the second thing that we need to see about Ruth. You know, her life of choosing God and, you know, worshiping the Lord and serving Naomi is one thing, but her attitude is another. She did not see this as a wage from Boaz, but she saw this as grace. And, you know, the the person of God has come to a place in their lives where boasting is excluded. Paul says in Romans 3, 27, by the law of faith. You know, the Pharisee is the one who says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, and I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all I get. But it's not the Pharisee that is blessed by God. It's the tax collector who beats on his chest and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, at mealtime, verse 14, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed her to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. So, again, his favor gets even more intense at this part of the story, invites her to a special lunchtime meal, and she is stuffed. And when she rose to glean, verse 15, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. This is generosity way beyond what the law required. Boaz is obviously favoring this woman. Then she beat out what she'd gleaned, and it was about an an ephah of barley, or 22 liters, or 93 or so cups of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. The final thing that I want you to see about Ruth is that, you know, in the midst of God's favor upon her life, she really was a hard-working, laboring woman. Grace will do this to you. I mean, she had gone out, she had gathered, she had beaten, she had gleaned, and she's carrying now a lot of barley back to Naomi, a few weeks' worth of food, more than likely. And grace will make you into a hardworking person. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and God's grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, he said, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. You know, we're called to run a race, and 
you know, as we're running that race, we're not to have an attitude that we deserve anything from the Lord. We're expecting that it's all of his grace. But that grace makes us want to run our race effectively. And so Ruth was that kind of woman. She just went for it and gleaned and worked well. So she told her mother-in-law, verse 19, with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. This is designed to give an anticipation of what's going to come later in the book when Boaz redeems Ruth and Naomi. And Ruth the Moabite, verse 21, said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with this with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So Naomi encourages her to simply stay with the young women and to stay in Boaz's field. And she did so until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. It's, in one sense, the end of the story. There's no marriage. There's no romance. There's no redemption. And now the barley and the wheat harvests are over with. And what are they going to do? There's been no resolve. There's been no closure. There's been no redemption. And that's where the text takes us into Ruth chapter 3. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateoldridge.com.